0: cornerstone church you guys are such a delight Uh, i was here in january and you were so kind and so nice i hope you do the same today all right amen yeah i got invited back so the third time that's the real test now i would uh, love for you to open your bibles galatians 5 we're also going to be in john chapter 14 again i am so grateful for your church i'm also so grateful for your church leadership as i continue to meet them i'm so encouraged by them impressed by them I consider Pastor Scott a a mentor from afar. Uh, It's a bit of a drive to get here all the time for us. I'm down in Queen Creek, Arizona, where it's like 115 out. So praise the Lord. Anyways, it sanctifies us. That's what we say that keeps us from crying. But today, we're in part four of your series on the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, I I love this whole chapter. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit. I want to read it again because it's Paul using this Imagery of fruit to explain a spiritual reality. So in verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. The law is not against such things. What I really find encouraging about this passage that as I study it more and more is a few things. Um, that I want to actually highlight for you real quick. Number one, what's pretty fascinating, most of us miss this, but the fruit is singular. You notice how it's not the fruits of the Spirit? Mind blown, right? It is the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? Uh, Pastor, actually, uh, Scott mentioned him a few weeks ago, Darren Patrick. I learned this from him. He says, look, here's what it means because it's just the fruit of the Spirit. You are only as strong as your weakest fruit. Some of us are naturally joyful. So we say, okay, we treat it as a checklist and say, yeah, I have the fruit of the Spirit. And the reality is, uh, of joy, but the reality is you're just naturally wired that way. Maybe you would be joyful even if you didn't follow the way of Jesus. And so this is convicting for me because in years past, I would look at this list and go, I'm a lot of them, but I'm not a man of peace. But the reality is I'm only as Spirit-filled as my weakest fruit. I say that hopefully to encourage you, not to condemn you. This is an invitation to submit to what the Spirit can do. The second thing, and this should be more encouraging, fruit is gradual. Any gardeners in the house? Right? It's a process. My father, I'm actually a fourth generation pastor, and my grandfather would always say every pastor should be a farmer or a gardener. Because it teaches you the slowness of life, the slowness of growth. And so as we look through all of these, these next, these, these finishing nine weeks, I encourage you to remember, don't walk out of here with shame and condemnation. Just know what a beautiful thing that God is inviting you into this journey of growth. And it will take time, but by God's grace, Jesus finishes the work that he started. Amen. And the last thing we see, just based off, this isn't even a sermon, this is free, okay? We're about to go into another passage. But we see in this passage, fruit is from the Spirit. It's not from you, it's not from you earning, right? It cannot be achieved in your own power. And so really, we approach this text with hands wide open, saying, God, we need you to do what only you can do. And that ties us into the big idea for this series. The fruit of the Spirit are not objectives we achieve, but outcomes we experience. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would think about the outcome of living a life filled with peace. And so the title of my message this morning is Peace, Not as the World Gives. Let's pray. Father God, I just invite you into this moment. God, I pray for those who are feeling the anxiety even from this weekend as Pastor Scott just mentioned. God, we hand this over to you. God, as we feel, some of us, we feel like anxiety is the defining marker of our life. Living a life of peace is a pipe dream. Oh, God, I pray that you would introduce peace into our minds, into our hearts, and into our bodies. In Jesus' name I pray. The church says, amen. Amen. It was a weekend that seemed to never end. Friday night, I get a text message. From a lady who had visiting our church about three weeks in a row, I had just given her my number. She texts me and then calls me. This is what millennials do. We text and then call. She called me and said, I need help. Where are you? Thinking what is going on, right? She says, my husband is, uh, hasn't beat me yet, but it's getting violent with his language, and I'm worried what's going to happen next. Of course, I know the context. They just gave birth. She just has a three-month-old baby. She's fearful for her life. So I immediately contact, thankfully we have a deacon in our church who's also a police officer. We contact those that we need to, and we do what we can. We find a place for her to stay. I was up all night, Friday night, trying to help this lady that I kind of just met. Heartbroken over for her. Saturday morning, it never stops. Saturday morning, I wake up to some texts. I sleep in because of how long the night was before. I get a text message from a lady that we have done life with in our growth group. And she just simply sends me this text. My son just passed away. Sad reality is, the son whom I know who had just been to church just finished from the Marine Corps. And Friday night, late into the night, he was ran over on his motorcycle and passed away. I'm feeling the weight of that. Now, trying to think do I call her? Do I text her back? Do I drive to her house? What does she need in this moment? Does she need space? Does she need a hug? Saturday morning continues, my church is a texting church. I got another text. And it says, my husband has collapsed. I don't know what's wrong. Please pray. So I tell her, I call I call her, and I said, you need to call the ambulance. She says, okay. So she calls the ambulance. A few hours later, we find he was dehydrated, and he has COVID-19. This man, one of my best friends, mid-50s, Amazing guy, full of joy, lights up every room. The only problem with him was that he was a Lakers fan. But anyways, <laughs> this he would love that I made that joke too. Just two weeks later, he passed away from COVID-19 in his mid-50s. That was Saturday morning. We were saying, God, I don't know if I have, I don't know what to do. I don't have the words to express. I, I don't know if I go over there. Now there's, so, I can't be in three places at once. And I anxiety began to define my day. I could feel it in my bones. I could feel it in my heart. I was struggling. What to do? God, this is what you've called me to do to serve your people. What do I do next? But then Sunday morning came. As I mentioned, it was a weekend that would never end. I wake up, receive yet another text. This one of our biggest supporter, giver to our church since the day we started. It's always been that couple. I was shocked that they stayed around. A pretty amazing couple. Um, We never really served them in the way that I thought maybe they deserved. And so this was, again, post-COVID. We haven't seen them since everything happened with the COVID-19 lockdowns. And I get the text I was waiting for for a few months. Hey, Trey, we've decided to move on. This isn't about you, but we just need to go somewhere else. Immediately thinking through, how is our budget going to be met? We just hired somebody else because we need our church to grow anxiety was building and building and you know the irony what was the topic of my message that day peace and I thought how can I preach about peace when I don't feel any of it I have been on such a journey and when we were together uh last uh, last January I was talking about silence and really silence was this pursuit towards peace In the next month, I'm actually publishing a book. It's called The Non-Anxious Pastor. And yet, my life is defined by anxiety. I struggle to have peace. And here was my tag, it is still my tagline of my book. Becoming a person at peace in a world at war. And the reality is, is that tagline sounds great when the war is out there. But do I believe the words of Jesus when I feel that war in here? And I think that's the question a lot of us have to answer. Again, specifically, after everything that's happened this weekend, maybe you feel more anxiety than normal. To be honest, I feel like it becomes impossible to be a person at peace when the world is at war, and yet I'm grateful that the words of Jesus say otherwise. I'm wanting to open your Bibles to John 14. We are a people that believe the Bible even when we feel opposite feelings, amen? Amen. We hold steadfast to the truth, and I believe this truth is really helpful for us as a congregation. John 14 through 16, just to give some context, this is considered the farewell discourse. This is Jesus preparing his disciples for life without him, and if you look at chapters 14, 15, 16, who is the main person Jesus talks about? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which ties in perfectly with Galatians chapter 5. And John 14 starting in verse 25, It says this, it says, I have spoken these uh, things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything. Anybody else need that reminder, right? We know the truth this weekend and other weekends like it. We need to be reminded of it, of everything I have told you. Verse 27 is the emphasis for us today. Peace, I leave with you. This is that word like shalom in the Hebrew, right? This overall flourishing. It's not just an absence of something. It's the presence of so much more. This peace, I, Jesus says, leave with you. My peace, so this isn't the world's peace, it's my peace, he says, I give to you. It's that same lesson of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift we, receive, uh, we achieve, right? It's a gift we receive, It's something that God gives to us. And he says, I do not give to you this peace, right, as the world gives. So we have to, as faithful readers of the text, start to think through, okay, how can we compare and contrast? What are ways Jesus gives peace, and what are ways that the world gives peace, and how are they different? Then he says, don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. This word troubled in the Greek is terasso, which means one definition is to be thrown into confusion. Many of us feel troubled when we're just confused. One way of life was this way, and now everything has changed. Fearful, which is delao in the Greek. Another way to describe fearful is to lose all sense of courage. Is that not what destroys our peace? Lots of confusion, plans not going your way, being hurt by those you once trusted, and lot, loss of courage. Scared of what else will come, loss of a hope for a better tomorrow, and that's precisely why we need this passage. Jesus says, I know you feel these things, but don't, because I have come to give you peace. I have come to give you life and life in abundance. Write this down. Here's what we're going through. Our future feels bleak because we're wounded and weak. It feels that way. That's the important thing here. Jesus acknowledges that that we feel troubled. We feel fearful. But he's saying, "Don't, because I have a peace and I have giving it to you. It's not something you earn. He gives it to all who are willing to receive." And so this is helpful because to be human is to be wounded. You and I, we are all troubled specifically by our past. We have different stories of betrayal, we have different stories of broken trust, and so Jesus warns us, saying, okay, don't be troubled, and when you're troubled, a lot of us, we look to the world to give us peace. But he says, my peace is more sufficient, the peace the world gives will only add to your trouble. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what are ways the world offers peace? I acknowledge there's probably a million different ways, but here's one main one I've seen, especially recently. The world says peace is found in self-pity. Many commentators, as I was studying this week about self-pity, many of them say it's one of the worst attitudes to get caught in. It is the mother of many sins. It gives you excuses. It, it, it keeps you from growing. It keeps you from moving on. It, ref, it, it enables you to, to refuse to forgive. Our wounds, they are part of our story, but sometimes if we fall into self-pity, the world says to do, our wounds become our world. Our scars become our whole story, not just a beautiful part of it. Our illness, we see this all throughout the text, our illness becomes our identity. John 5, as I was thinking through this, John Uh, Jesus asked the crippled man which it's pretty interesting there he wasn't given a name at this point he was just known as the crippled man why his illness had become his identity this is all he was but in John 5 what does Jesus say Jesus goes to this crippled man who has been crippled for over 35 years and he says do you want to be healed now why would Jesus ask that who doesn't want to be healed Uh, Yeah, have you not seen? I haven't been able to walk for 38 years. Yes, please, I need to be healed. But what's fascinating, Jesus is wiser than you and wiser than me. Jesus knows some people, they get so caught up into self-pity, they think self-pity is the form of peace that they need, and so they don't go for salvation and healing. All they settle for is sympathy. They actually like the fact that everybody, when they walk past them every day, feels bad. Some people like that thought of, at least they feel bad for me. At least I'm getting attention some way, somehow. And so Jesus, maybe this invitation is to you. In some sort of area in life, the world says... Hold on to the self-pity. What happened to you, that's your story. That's your identity, your desires, the damage of your life. That's how you define who you are. And the scriptures say, no, you are defined as in the image of God. Amen? If you're a child of God, that's your definition. You're a child and servant of the king. These illnesses, these wounds, these scars are not your story. They're simply a part of it. So the world, why why do they go to self-pity? Because they don't know how to answer suffering. So if you don't know how to get rid of it, you might as well just own it. What is the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus is actually pretty complex because his answer is better than self-pity, but it still includes suffering. This is where a lot of us as followers of the way get it wrong. John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things, this is still the discourse, so they had just said John 14 as we had just read, and continue through John 15, which is a, an incredible passage about abiding in the Spirit, still this fruit language that we see in Galatians 5. Then he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. In other words, don't be troubled. Be troubled. Because I have conquered the world. You see that difference here? So incredible for us to see this. Because so often we think peace is an absence of trauma. Jesus says, no, that, it's going to happen. But will you allow me to love and serve you in the middle of those scars? In the middle of those wounds? Write this down. The world's peace is the absence of trauma. But God's peace is the presence of transformation. This is so good because the world kind of says, man, hopefully you had a lucky childhood. Hopefully you weren't abused. Hopefully nobody has stabbed you in the back because then you could have a pretty peaceful life. But if they did those things to you, this has become your identity. There's no way out. You might as well just own it and sit in self-pity for the rest of your life. Jesus says, no, yeah, those things will happen. This is a world full of sin. Peace is is not about going around the world unscathed. You can't. There's too much sin done by us. There's too much sin done around us, and there's too much sin done to us. See, peace isn't found around the wounds, but through them. This is a lesson God's been teaching me. I realize this is one of the major reasons I've been missing out on a peace-filled life. After a few years of pastoring, I don't know if you know this. I know that pastors are sometimes the worst people to members, but members can sometimes be the worst people to pastors. Amen? This is what guest pastors do. We just remind you of that. All right. So I've been hurt, right? People who are my rider dies, they don't even talk to me anymore, right? And there's these wounds that begin to fester. And so what I recognize myself doing is I stop bringing people close because if I bring them close, it gets them easier to stab me, right? I stopped opening up. I stopped sharing my vulnerabilities and my hurts and my habits and my, my sorrows because they can use that against me, right? And so I was actually wallowing in self-pity. I stopped dreaming too big around my friends because then I'd be embarrassed if I didn't fulfill. But here's the thing. Maybe you want to write this down. It's not on your screen. But here's what I realized. In an effort to avoid Judas the betrayer, I wound up missing out on John the Beloved. See, peace is not avoiding Judas. Peace is embracing John. Even if there will be a Judas in your life. This is peace. See, Satan, he wants to shackle you to your wounds and say, the moment you're hurt, it's over. There's no more peace. But the scriptures say otherwise. Write this down. We aren't shackled to our wounds, but we are shaped by them. See, the world says that you're just shackled to them. So hopefully you don't have too many wounds. But here's what the Christian church, we need to remember. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're redeemed. Yes, we are healed. But you know what? Our wounds, they still shape us. They actually shape us into people of love. Because we know what it feels like to be hurt. Our wounds are a part of our past. And so this is really helpful for me because peace Isn't the absence of defects or the absence of damage just the presence of God and he transforms that pain into something beautiful. This is really helpful for me and I pray it's helpful for you again. Our future feels bleak because we are wounded and weak. Let me talk a little bit about weak. To be human is to be weak, is to be fearful of the future I think what the, the blessing in the last couple years has been the reality, the reminder that we aren't as in control as we think we are. At the end of the day, we can have all the right plans for the internet, but a storm can run through and here we are, right? There's only so much we can control. We feel weak and this terrifies us. We even let our own selves down. I know for me, I grow tired and weary and Jesus says, okay, when you're feeling that, the temptation when we're feeling troubled and fearful, is to go to the peace that the world gives. But what's another example? So the wounded, we, we typically run to self-pity. But the weak, the world's peace says this, the world says peace is found in self-praise. Even a conversation I was having like yesterday, we're talking about how some of us, we, dis- we act like we display confidence. and We think those are the most confident people. But really, those are the most weak, hurting people. They're just trying to put a front to try to make people feel better about who they are. See, the world says peace is found in self-praise. We hide our insecurities by exaggerating our strengths. We know this isn't peaceful because you're waiting for them to find out the truth. Do you? Maybe you're actually your soul is starving for, for peace because you're the person, this is what I do, that churns every conversation to highlight something you've done. I'm trying to get better at this. I, especially growing up, I'm that guy, you say you've met Kobe Bryant. I'm just like, that's cool, I've met Michael Jordan. You know, just a little bit better, okay? So this is what I do. And I realize it's because I have this emptiness inside that I'm trying to, to fix and compensate for. Right? And the world says to do that. Another one, this is what I really don't like about myself, and I've really tried to surrender my spirit to it and self-praise, is when, especially in the church planning world, we're about six years old, what I hate about myself, and I've had to surrender this to God, is when I see somebody else's success, I somehow think it threatens my own. Anybody else? Right? That just shows I'm not a person at peace. When, for some reason, when a guy 20 miles down the road is successful, I think now I won't be. twenty. 20 feet down the road it doesn't matter God's a God of abundance amen but what we do we get caught up in thinking we need to be self-praising ourselves. we have to be the best around that's the only way to be at peace and I wrote this in my journal a couple weeks ago and I think it's helpful I said God exalting myself is exhausting myself it's so exhausting one up one up everybody that's exhausting worrying about what other think of me that's exhausting i think about the parable that jesus shares in luke 14 those at the wedding banquet and they're all trying to get the highest seat at the table and what does jesus say the person who sits at the very end and when the host honors him that brings honor that brings peace the person who vied for the top spot and the host has to embarrass in front of everybody and say to move down that's not a person at peace saying take the lowest position. Why? Because you're a person at peace. You don't need their affirmation. Jesus said that. He says sit in the lowest place. He says whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is an invitation to peace. So Jesus says again, don't let your hearts be fearful. One scripture that's been helpful for me is Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. It's kind of been like my life verse, especially as recently. And this is in the message paraphrase, so I acknowledge that. The other translations are helpful, but there's something about this one that just grabs my heart. This is to those in the room who feel weak. He says, come to me, this is Jesus speaking, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think that's actually the CSB version. My apologies. The message one's way longer. But your yoke is easy and your burden is light. This is the invitation God has for us. Write this down. The world's peace is the absence of lack, but God's peace is the presence of love. The world says, you know compensate, do better, be better. And none of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but this is not the journey to peace. Peace is knowing even in my lack, even when I'm weary, even when I'm burdened, my job is not to compensate and act like I don't have those things. The beauty of the gospel and where we actually receive fruit from the Spirit is to say, yeah, God, that's me. I got no strength. I need your love, not because I can do something for you, but because you love me for what I am. Fear comes from not having enough. We fear from not being enough. And Jesus knows that we lack. He acknowledges our exhaustion in that text. And he encourages us, what? To get away. To be encouraged and to recover our lives. Write this down. Peace comes from bringing God who we are, not who we aren't. So don't let your hearts be troubled. He goes, I know you have a troubled heart. Bring it to me. And see what I can do in and through you. Don't try to get fancy. Bring God who you are, not who you aren't. What was, um, in January, I was here, I think the last week of January, and I was actually talking to Scott about this new opportunity I had. And it was all hush-hush at that point. Um, But there was a large church in California that was looking to hire me as their lead pastor. So I didn't really want it because I, am a, I love church planning. I love Queen Creek, Arizona, despite the terrible summers, right? I just love where I'm at, but I was, felt like it was the obedient thing to do. I kept taking steps and it just happened, right? And more and more, it looked like a reality. And so long story short, it was in uh, February, the middle of February, I realized this was going to be it. And so I actually got my church together. I wanted to be somebody that is transparent and, and doesn't surprise my folks. And so the week before I was supposed to fly and, and go speak at their church and view of a call, I wanted that whole week before to tell my church family what was going on. And so we had that. I cried like a baby. It was really embarrassing, and we barely got the words out. But it's like 20 minutes long. It is not available anywhere on YouTube. Ugly tears, all right? And so I just remember it was one of the hardest moments of my life. But then, like, that Monday morning, I got excitement. You know, I started to think of a vision of what I can do at this church in California. All sorts of excitement. I feel like it was a job I didn't deserve. People were like, it's you got the job? Like, that's when you know you got a great job. You? Do they know there's other pastors out there? I'm like, I know. I don't know, man. Like, it's one of those, right? Right? So we go, and we're all excited. We go to Disneyland beforehand, right, just to celebrate. And then uh, I started getting these text messages and these emails, and they started to have some issues with stuff. And long story short, literally none of this has to do with anything. It's my job to not talk about this anymore. But Saturday came. I was supposed to preach the next day on my 30th birthday. And me and my wife made the hard decision to turn around and drive back home. And it was hard. It was embarrassing. I had just told my whole church on Sunday. I made a YouTube video about it that Monday. The world knew I was leaving my church and going to this other one. And I cried the whole way home, thinking, how embarrassing is this? How, how dumb can I be? And man, let me tell you, my future felt bleak. Because I felt both wounded, because I think some of the stuff that happened should have been avoided. And I felt weak. Why did I make these decisions? What am I going to do? Will my church take me back? It was a very, very difficult time. And I'm only like 120 days past, or I don't even know the math. But it's not, I still think there's some wounds I have to process. And there's some things and people I need to forgive that I think I'm on that journey. But those first couple weeks, I realized in my search for peace... All I was doing was recycling between self-pity and self-praise. Self-pity. Can you believe this church did this to me? Can you believe they didn't share this, this, and that until right before? Self-praise. Don't they know who I am? I'm that guy, you know? Don't they know I'm young, right? And then self-pity and then self-praise. And I was absolutely empty inside. I had no peace. I struggled sleeping had anger issues. Never had anger issues my whole life. Forgiveness. I've preached on forgiveness my whole life. How do you forgive when you've actually been hurt? Right? Like this, the gospel gets a lot harder. Like when you start to live life. I now get it. Like at my church, there's people in their 70s. They're like, you don't know anything. And I'm like, you're right. I know nothing. Right? But God kept bringing me back. I had a lot of ice cream too, by the way. That's, that's a self-pity thing. Working on it. But God... Began to show me through the scriptures, actually through John 14. Okay, here's the invitation Jesus has for me. Look, peace isn't found in the self. It's found in the Savior. I was fighting so hard to get better. And all that kept happening was I was getting bitter. But this text in John 16, it, Jesus doesn't say take heart You can overcome the world. No, no, no. What does he say? Take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the beauty of the fruit. That's the beauty of living a life of peace. Look, peace comes, hear me, not from gritting your teeth, but from falling in love. Peace comes not from gritting your teeth for God, but falling in love with God. And allowing him to love and serve you where you're at, in the middle of your wounds, and in the middle of your weakness. And let the Lord fight this battle for you. So I want to, and step with what you guys do, I love this, how you always have next steps. I think it's so important for us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So I've been processing those in the room who are dealing with self-pity and self-praise and trying to take the invitation of peace that is on offer from the Holy Spirit, there are two practices I submit to you. I encourage you to practice both, but at least one sounds good. At least one, I won't be able to check. I'm gone again, but let's at least do one. Number one, practice the discipline of not having the last word. Scott told me, this is a great practice for this week. I was like, I know, it's just like Holy Spirit stuff, I knew, you know. Practice the discipline of not having the last word. Friends, you do not have to win every argument. And I realized my desire to win an argument was my desire to be at peace. Peace doesn't come from winning arguments. It comes from falling in love and submitting to the Spirit. I have noticed this, at least in my own life. I will only speak for me. I am more at peace when I'm soft-spoken versus when I'm outspoken. It reflects the inner reality of what's going on in my heart. And so I declare, I, I hope that you take this, this practice. Declare this to your soul. God's going to take care of me. I don't need to win this argument. I have peace because it's gifted from God and God alone. Practice the discipline of not having the last word this week. See how hard it is. That's how we submit to the Spirit. By putting in those, the, ourselves in those positions and saying, God, I can't, but I need you to do it for me. Here's the second practice practice the discipline of not leaving the biggest impression in your conversations this week imagine this be more interested than you are interesting i have known this time and time again when i meet somebody who is just dying to show that i'm in that they're interesting i've begun to pray for them that god would give them peace that it's okay who they are and it's okay who they're not you don't need to huff up and puff up right You can be who God has made you to be. And so this practice is a declaration to your soul. Trusting in the fruit of the Spirit, saying, God's going to take care of me. I don't need peace by winning people's approval. I am approved and affirmed and loved by God, and that is the peace my soul desires, and that is the peace, that is all I need. Will you take those two invitations? Friends, we are in a world at war. But you and I, we can become persons at peace. As through the person and work of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask you that you would give us peace. Not as the world gives, but as you give. God, the world gives peace that is selfish, hurts others, draws attention to the self, but your peace, God, may you give us eyes to see the invitation of your peace, that your peace. His outward focus sets our heart and our aim towards you. He's in love with you and all that you've done. And God, even this week, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would. Ah, There's so many who came into this room with anxiety. Some of the anxiety is because they acknowledge the suffering. And Jesus, I praise you that you still acknowledge that suffering as well. But God, this anxiety is manifesting itself through self pity and self praise. And God, I just ask you that you would comfort our hearts, knowing that your love offers so much more. That your peace is genuine peace that lasts eternity. And God, we're just we're just submitting. I'm submitting my heart, saying, God, would you do what only you can do? On my own, I can't get rid of the anxiety. On my own, I can't get rid of the fear and the hypotheticals. But God, in you, we can walk this earth. We can love and be at peace and bring peace to those around us. Would you do that today? In Jesus' name I pray.